Hey, I want to thank you for joining me for another episode of Press On. I'm Aaron Rios, and I'm so glad that you're with me today. Hey, have you had a chance to listen to my new worship EP? It's called Hiding Place, and you can find it on Spotify, on Apple iTunes, and everywhere else music is sold. Why don't you go check it out? Leave a review. Share it with your friends. I believe that the songs on this EP are songs for such a time as the season we're living in. I pray it blesses you. Be sure to visit Aaron on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Like and share your favorite episodes, which are now available on all podcast platforms, including the Charisma Podcast Network. And consider becoming a financial partner by supporting this ministry. Visit AaronRios.com for more details. The last couple of years have revealed to anything that the church of Jesus is deeply divided. And the church's greatest threat is not going to be some outward force, some outward enemy waging war against the church. The Bible has granted us and promised us victory. The gates of hell shall not prevail over the church. The greatest threat to the church today is an internal threat. It is the body waging war against itself. Welcome to Press On with your host, Aaron Rios. We pray you are enriched, encouraged, and inspired to run the race and to press on towards the cause of Christ. Hey, welcome back to Press On. This is Aaron Rios. I'm glad that you are with me. I want to ask you a question. Where are you looking today for the answer? What are you going through? And where are you looking for the answer to that situation in your life. On a macro level, we've got a lot of problems in our government and in our economy and in our world. It's always been like that, but it just so happens that right now, in this generation, at this time, in this season, it feels like it's hitting us all at once. We've got civil unrest, we've got economic unrest, we've got war, we have a lot, and because of the internet, it's at our fingertips, we can see it clearly. We need some answers. We need some solutions. Leadership has failed us. That's really not that surprising. I don't want to keep looking back to 2020, the, the election year. Uh, it's time we begin to look forward. But we do need to be able to look in the rearview mirror and learn. Learn from the things that took place. And evangelicalism really took a hit. There was a high percentage of Christians um, that supported and voted for Donald Trump, um, and a slew of almost every recognized prophetic voice declared over and over Trump would win. And when those trusted words of the prophets didn't come to pass, a lot of people walked away, a lot of people were wounded. What do we do? I don't doubt that God speaks, and I don't doubt that God speaks through the voice of his prophets. But when it seems like what we hoped for, or what we expected, it doesn't turn out the way we'd hoped for, what do we do? You know, as I've sat back and I've meditated on what's taken place, I'm convinced and I'm confident, and I've shared this, I've shared this before, that not only was Trump's defeat inevitable, but I believe it was necessary. Because, because, Oh my goodness. The Christian base was looking to Trump as a savior. 
that might sound harsh. And certainly God raises people up to do good works and to usher in, you know, righteous in a temporal sense and to be ambassadors. You and I, we, we have a duty and a work to be a kingdom extension, a kingdom revealer, an ambassador of the kingdom of God. And through that virtue and through that power of, of the Holy Spirit, uh, there will be momentary uh, uh, victories and breakthroughs and things like that. But I believe we have a tendency to look to people for more than just that temporary relief. Consider Elon Musk purchasing Twitter and how quickly many within the Christian community surrounded him and and have said, oh, you need to purchase this, purchase CNN, purchase Fox. I, I even saw one post on the internet that said, purchase Doritos and fill the bags. I think the idea behind it was how quickly we, I throw myself in that, are to surround people that we think can inspire hope, that we believe can fix the problem. You know, as I thought about that, I considered how quickly the church, the church that remains after the rapture, will help to usher in the Antichrist into a place of power. How quickly we'll turn it over if we think someone can fix the problem. This is what happened in ancient Israel. This is why they brought King Saul and ushered him into power. I'm going to be reading out of 1 Samuel 16, 10, just a couple of verses here, verses 10 through 13. And what we can learn from this is that God is still faithful even when man fails. Amen? God is faithful in man's failure. The first question I asked you was, who are you looking to or what are you looking to for the answers of your situation? Maybe someone mistreated you. Maybe someone did something wrong. Maybe you made a series of poor decisions and now you're dealing with the consequences because you were unfaithful or you weren't wise or for whatever reason, you've ended up where you are. I want to tell you that your failure does not negate God's faithfulness. 1 Samuel 16.10 says, Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is tending sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring for him, for we will not sit down until he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, rise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. You know what? When I was reading this just now, something jumped out that I've never seen before or I never really considered. It's There's a sentence in here that it seems like it doesn't belong. All of a sudden, the author, as he's writing this out, goes to tell us that he was ruddy, which some have defined that as David was a redhead, beautiful eyes and handsome in appearance. Why does that matter? Why does that matter? It's almost as if the author is still trying to add some qualitative uh, descriptions in here so that we would look and go, oh, that's why, that's why. But I don't think so. I think it's to contrast that it didn't matter what David looked like. It's that God chose him because he sees things that you and I do not see. And when we see the world going nuts, when we see leadership failing us, 
it is important to understand that God has shepherds waiting in the wings, ready to take the places of kings. God's answer often will not look like what you think or expect it to look like. Consider how many voices pray to win on opposite sides of the game. It's as if which side will God choose when two football teams are in the Super Bowl and they're both praying to win? Which prayer is God answering or hearing? If you have both Christians and they're saying, Lord, help me win, which side? You know what? I don't think God's on either side. I think like the angel of the Lord said to Gideon, I am not on anyone's side. I'm on the Lord's side. I think the question is, is what side are we on? We need to quit trying to invite God into our campaigns, into our side, and we need to start yielding ourselves over to God. God, what are you trying to do? Where are you bringing me in? Where are you calling me? Lord, it's not just about who do you want me to vote for. It's, Lord, what do you want to see happen in this land? Because I don't need a politician to usher in a move of God. All I need is a bended knee. God will answer, but often those answers of our prayers, it's not going to look like what we thought it's going to look like. It often won't come in the package you thought it would come in. There are a variety of reasons why God often works outside of our paradigm. But most often, it's because God knows what's best and you don't. He's God, I'm not. Consider that God gave Israel the king they asked for, even when it wasn't his will and he was not a good king. Why? Because they went on what they thought would be best, what they thought looked best. I can almost guarantee that many of us find ourselves in a predicament because we navigated ourselves there by what we thought was best, what we thought looked best. I remember when GPS first came out and you had to buy an external device before cell phones could could do GPS. You bought a TomTom one of those devices, some of you know what those are. And people would yell at their TomToms because it would navigate them through an alternate route that they may not have been familiar with. And they'd say, this isn't the way to go. This isn't the way to go. But what they didn't know is that the TomTom device, and still to this day, what many of your GPS is doing, it's bypassing hurdles. It's bypassing traffic jams. It's knows of an alternate route to get to the destination that you're trying to arrive at. And many of us, we fight it and we ignore it. We keep passing those exits and we don't take the turn that it tells us to get. Yes, I know there's been occasions where it's taking you on the wrong route, but most often people that are frustrated with them simply can't follow directions. And likewise, Saul is a similar example. In other words, uh, God is like that GPS and how often we fight against it, trying to get to the destination uh, that God is trying to take us to. We're just trying to do it in our own way. And even when that happens, and this is what I want you to hear, even when those kinds of things happen, even when the leader we hoped would win doesn't win. Even when the job you hoped you would get, you don't get it. Even when your kid isn't following the directions and and is not taking the making the life decisions that you'd hoped he or she would make, it does not negate God's faithfulness. God will still make provisions for his people. Even when there's a wicked ruler, even when there are leaders that are are adamant uh, for abortion and adamant for wickedness that God has shepherds in the fields waiting provisions why 
The Bible tells us that God raises up kings and sets them down. People of God need to really understand this. It is God who raises up kings, and it's God who brings them down. God will usher a shepherd off of a pasture and sit him on a throne. God told the prophet Samuel, go and find Saul's replacement. It's God who raised up the prophet. It's God who said, go and search for this man. I'll tell you where he's at. Even when people fail us, God makes provision. Even when you fail God, he makes provision. So what if rather than complaining about all the inequality and complaining about all the failure and all the hurt, rather than than just marinating in the defeat, what if God actually wants to raise up a shepherd in your life? What if God wants to raise you up as the shepherd as a response to the problems of today? We need to begin to consider that God has built within us a potential to respond to him. And through that response, answers begin to unfold. The problems that were once victimizing us uh, seem to lose their grip. You gotta ask yourself, is my course of life right now part of the problem or part of the solution? By God's grace, God can raise and change the answer to we are part of his solution. David, a shepherd boy, would be part of a solution. What qualified David? David was out in the pastures, taking care of his sheep, doing his duties. God found David. He didn't have to go looking for success. You don't have to go looking for success. You need to focus on your duty. You need to focus on the call. You need to focus on whatever it is directly in front of you. And it will, if you do it with all your heart, with all your might, with faithfulness, yield it to God. God will lead you to your destiny. God will send the prophet after you to to pull you off the pasture and seat you on the throne. See, man judges entirely from the outside. We know this. We know that God judges on the inward. The problem is, is we lock ourselves into this place. We're trying to appeal to the outside. But what we need to be doing is we need to be appealing to our heart, to the heart of God. What, what, what's a couple of things we can learn? Well, God has the answers always waiting in the wings, on the side, in the most unlikely places. You need to understand that God will make provisions. Even when those around us fail to live up to their potential, God will make provisions. And maybe you, with everything you're going through, our provision. God doesn't look at the things that people look at. God looks at the heart. It's just a real simple question. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Are you tied up in bitterness and frustration with the course of the world? Or are you vulnerable and soft and available? Have you yielded your heart to God? Is God's word in addition to your life? Or does your life encamp about God's word? I wish I could say my life encamped about God's word. But man, it's such a struggle, isn't it? Trying to yield control of the wheel to God. Say, Lord, take the wheel. I'm going to pray for you this morning that you wouldn't lose heart with all of the dilemmas and all the problems and, and all the challenges that you may be facing, many are facing, and if you're not, if you're walking in victory right now, then 
you may be touching a life that's not walking in victory. But here, here it is. The hope and the promise is victory. So no matter what's happening in the world, no matter how dark it may be looking, no matter how confused people are, no matter how much wickedness is around us, it's temporary because last I checked, God's word says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. Are you walking in triumph? Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I lift up each person that's listening today, and I ask you that you would touch them by your power. I ask you that you would meet them right where they are. I ask you that you would help them. Lord, as they have looked here and there far and wide for solutions, some of them have run from doctor to doctor to doctor, from therapist to counselor, from medication to medication, from drug to drug, from relationship to relationship, from city to town, moving from one side of the country to another, looking for hope, looking for a solution. But God, you're the solution. We just don't know how to unpack that. We don't know how to unlock that. We don't know how. God, I pray that you would help us to just be still and know that you are God. Be still and know that you are God. You are God of the valleys. You are God of the mountains. You are God in our midst. Even when we don't feel it or sense it, it doesn't change that you are there. So Lord, we stop, we pause, we yield, we quiet ourselves. We invite you into the chaos. We don't want to put a Saul in place when you have something far greater. So God, I pray for each one that is yearning, burning inside for a solution to the problem of life. Lord, that you would show up in their life. Show up powerfully and remind them that you are God. We love you. We honor you. We thank you. In the mighty, matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Until next time, I'm Aaron Rios. Thank you for joining us. If today's message encouraged you to continue running the race, we invite you to share this message with others. Until next time, keep pressing on.